Hey, yo, Kyle, drop that beat. Welcome to Frustration Nation, the FN podcast for FN fans of FN sports teams. On this podcast, we explore the heartbreak, horror, and humiliation of what it means to be a diehard fan. I'm your pessimistic host and Detroit fan, Shane Westwood, and I'm here with my miserable co-host and Chicago fan, Kyle George. Kyle, what do we got going this week? The last time you listened to our totally optimistic podcast... We talked about the misery of being a Chicago Cubs fan, despite recent successes, and the dreaded disappointment brought on by the Detroit Tigers' masterful choke machine this century. This episode, we look further into our fandoms, but this time, have your antidepressants handy as we cover the Chicago Bears begrudgingly and the Detroit Lions, unfortunately. So continuing with the the Detroit Chicago, I mean, if you haven't figured it out, Lions fan, Bears fan. Um, so you want yes. me to start with the Lions, or am I the Lions fan in this scenario? Or oh, okay, <laughs> no, you probably don't want to be. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I don't. I always. I will admit, I always liked the Honolulu blue color. I think that's Aww. a really sharp. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. However, the uh, I hate their jerseys that they've been wearing lately with the gray. Oh, gray. Yeah. Oh, I hate those. That's it ruins. Like either wear white or wear blue. Do not wear. Don't try to do your pretty silver color. Yeah. Leave that or, for the helmets and the pants. Yeah. Or I guess what bothers me the most with that is like I don't mind the jersey so much, but like the flat gray color on the helmet. Or you know, if you're gonna do, if you don't want to do white or blue, what mm-hmm. I think could look really cool is to do like a. Now, this would probably look a little bit too much like the Carolina Panthers, but if you did, like, a black jersey with the blue and, like, white and silver lining around the numbers, letters, that would look good. done that exact thing before, and, yeah, because it's the Lions, they never went back to it, really. We, I mean, which it's been a long time, but we had a stretch where, like, every year we wear it a couple times, it seems like. Well, let let me tell you a little bit about my experience with Da Bears. Yeah, go for it, Matt. Um, it's the Bears are probably the team you'll hear me be probably the most frustrated about on this episode of the podcast. Um, I don't know. Uh, hmm. I could see me getting into the Bulls quite a bit too, but I think it'll be the Bears. Um, a bigger piece of me is dedicated to the Bears than to the Bulls. Uh, so it's uh man, <laughs> I don't even know what, I anything where I want to begin. Yeah, that sigh was just like that's all you need to say. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many great moments that I can think of from my Bears fandom, and I guess if I if I think about my earliest experience, well, I, I mentioned earlier that I, my first like entry into sports was the 2002 Super Bowl between the Raiders and the uh, Buccaneers. And 
I remember watching the Bears after that and frankly being very unimpressed. Um, it didn't help that uh, Chris Hutchison, I believe, was – or Hutcherson, I don't remember exactly. But I believe he was our quarterback and he was horrible. And it didn't help that Brett Favre was the quarterback of the Packers. It did help that the Lions had like John Kitna or whoever was the quarterback <laughs> at the time. Hey, let's um, let's not talk about that. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, but oh, I think, and I, I think the Vikings had Dante Culpepper, who no, yeah. like he wasn't like amazing, but he was. I remember him being decent. I thought he was solid. Yeah, and I mean they had Randy Moss too, which helps. Mm-hmm. So like. It was just, from the outset of my fandom, it was just not good news. Now, they they turned things around pretty quickly in that in 05 and 06, they went to the playoffs back-to-back, which coincidentally is the last time that they went back-to-back to the playoffs, <laughs> um, which kind of hurts to say that being 15 years ago. But <sighs> I'm trying to remember, in 05 – did they get to the NFC Championship game? I don't remember. I don't think they did. Hmm. I think they, I think they won Wild Card Weekend. I remember them going eleven and five, and I, I'm pretty sure they won Wild Card Weekend. And then I don't remember who they beat. And then they lost to the Seahawks in the divisional round. And the Seahawks went on to play the Steelers in the Super Bowl. And the reason I remember that was because that was um, Jerome the Bus Bettis' last game mm. was that Super Bowl. Fast forward then to 06. Now, this is the year that if I think about kind of the outline we've been talking about, like with earliest experience and like the peak of fandom, mm-hmm. 06, to be honest, probably is the peak of my fandom. That year was mm-hmm. awesome. I remember being locked in for every game. My favorite snack to all you listeners, if you ever want to send any my way, is chips and salsa. And I remember I would just sit down on my couch, big bowl of salsa and a bag of chips. I would just sit down and watch like all of NFL Sunday, obviously, especially the Bears, like every week during that year. Um, I try to do the same now, but as you know, having a family and stuff, it's not always feasible. <laughs> Nor desirable when our teams aren't good. Um, yeah. And on a side note, we're definitely at some point going to have a Super Bowl slash just football food. I don't know if we'll do a bracket or a ranking, but we're Mount Rushmore. Have, yeah. yeah. At some point, we're doing that too. Well, okay. Okay. Well, there's a difference between my favorite snack and my favorite football food. Like, yeah. There's I, different categories <laughs> for sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. So what we, well, I was going to say we should do March Madness, but March Madness is over, and Uh, it never happened, Yeah, which makes me sad. But if you're watching this or listening to this podcast like 10 years from now when we're obviously rich and famous, so we're recording this in 2020, it's April 1st right now, um, April Fool's, and so we're right in the middle of the coronavirus shutdown where all sports have been canceled, and so yeah, no March Madness, season suspended. And to all you listeners, I'm an English teacher for my day job, and I've read many a dystopian novel, and I'm like, it's like one of my favorite genres, and holy cow, there's so many aspects to 
this world that feels dystopian right now. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. And sports being canceled is like probably one of the biggest components of it. But yeah. on the flip side, it's allowed me to watch a lot of the 96 Bulls team because they've been airing that. Um, yeah, I've been watching a lot of old sports highlights too. Yeah. Um, anyway, so 06, that was an awesome year for the Bears. Um, they went 13-3. Rex Grossman, that classic name. Sexy Rexy. Yes. <laughs> he, he was the quarterback. Uh, however, I, he got injured early on in the year and was replaced by, do you know who? Oh, man. Um, Come on, you got this. Was it Kyle Orton? It was Kyle Orton. Yes, yeah, Kyle yeah. Orton replaced Sexy Rexy. I want to say like four or five games into the season. Mm-hmm. And he continued to quarterback the Bears to victories. Now, granted, I say that loosely because a lot of these victories during this year were due to Erlacher and Tillman and Briggs mm-hmm. and who else on the team? Vasher. Bash was a cornerback, not as well known as others. Um, and then in front of the defensive line, there was Tommy Harris and Alex Brown. There was just really good overall defense. And Hester, obviously. Yeah. I was getting there. Thank <laughs> you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will go ahead and say when I when I think about my favorite memory which is the, like the next bullet point we've been talking about. My favorite memory, my the peak of my fandom, pretty much all of it relates with Devin Hester. Like, yeah. I, I know as a Bears fan watching many highlights of Walter Payton, if I would have had the opportunity to watch Walter Payton live, I feel mm-hmm. like I would feel the same way about Walter Payton as I do about Devin Hester. Like, mm-hmm. and the crazy thing that it must have been to watch Walter Payton was just that he had the ball like every play, whereas Hester had only touched it like two or three times a game, depending on scoring and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, man, Hester, oh, it was every, every time. It was just like I remember kind of moving to the edge of my seat or if I was standing, kind of moving to like the balls of my feet. Like mm-hmm. you, ne- you never knew what he was going to do. Yeah. And that was his rookie season. The thing that people forget about Hester is that he had back-to-back seasons where he ran for, like, I want to say six return, six or seven returns each season for those first two seasons. Which is, like, an insane amount, if you think about. Yeah, it's absolutely. Well, yeah, and, the, like, the big debate now is, like, does he belong in the Hall of Fame? And I, mm-hmm. I contend with a lot of people, obviously I'm biased, but – I contend that he does. Now, the main reason against it is because a lot of people say, oh, return specialists don't make the Hall of Fame. Like, the closest you have to that is Deion Sanders, but he was also a really good cornerback, too. Mm -hmm. Hester was not a good cornerback, nor was he a good wide receiver when they tried to turn him into that. But he was the most electrifying kick returner. He holds the record, and – the thing is, and here's, here's the biggest argument, the record will never be broken because he literally changed the game. Like, because yeah. of Hester, they moved up the kicking spot, right? Because they used to kick it off of the 20 and, yeah. or the 30. They kick it off the 35 now or whatever. Mm-hmm. And 
there's way more, I mean, there's way more touchbacks now and with the way like the XFL and the AAS handled stuff, like Mm -hmm. I think the wave of the future in the NFL eventually will be like no kickoffs. So like Hester truly will end as like the king of Mm -hmm. third phase of football. And it's just kind of cool. Anyway, so that year, the game, the, the game I remember just being so freaking pumped about was a Monday nighter against not the Arizona Cardinals. That was a memorable one when the Bears were down like 23 to 7 going into the like end of the third. It was almost like a Falcons Patriots 28 to 3 situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and the Bears came back out of nowhere. Like, and it was like, the thing about that Bears defense was they could create a turnover whenever they wanted. And they, that game, they forced like two or three turnovers in a row that gave the Bears a chance to get to the point where they were only down by like one point going to like the closing minutes of the game. And then the Arizona kicker kicked a punt to Hester, who returned it for a touchdown to seal the game for the Bears. But that's not the game that I'm talking about. The game I'm talking about is later in the year, it was a Monday night game against the St. Louis Rams. Yes, boys and, yeah. yes, boys and girls, the St. Louis Rams. Don't forget. St. Louis did once have a football team, yeah. <laughs> yes. And uh, Hester had two kickoff returns for touchdowns in that game. Mm. Um, that was so exciting. And the, the Bears, like, blew out the Rams in that mm. game. That game was also the game that I want to say that Grossman returned from being injured. And he didn't play that great. And there was a lot of debate, I remember, because Lovey Smith was questioned. He was the coach, and he said, Rex is our quarterback. And I remember there was some debate, and I, Bears fans even now will debate if Orton would have started the Super Bowl. Would they have won? And yeah. I guess that's flashing forward a little bit. But so, one, you have the two Hester returns against the Rams. That was super exciting for me. And then the other time was probably the next moment of that season that was so awesome was the NFC championship game at Soldier Field against the Saints. The game started mm-hmm. off poorly because Drew Brees had this little dump pass to Reggie Bush, who mm-hmm. it was something like an 80-yard touchdown pass, and he taunted Erlacher along the way because Erlacher was, for whatever reason, the closest uh, tackler. And it was just like, oh, this is not going well. And then, of course, like I said, the defense just – turned it on, forced turnovers, like just stopped anything that the Saints were trying to do. And the moment I knew, the moment that got me so excited was, is one of those kind of crazy plays in football, but the Saints were on like their own two-yard line. And they lined up to pass, and the Bears like rushed everybody at Breeze. And Breeze threw it off to the sideline, maybe it's like the seven yard line or something. So like five yards downfield to the side and they flagged him for intentional grounding, which in that scenario, that's one of those penalties. That's not half distance to the goal. It results in a safety. And that safety like sealed the game. And Mm -hmm. Oh man, I, I vividly remember the headlines and everything the next day. And part of that's because a friend of mine he made this really cool newspaper collage for me of um, newspaper clippings from 
of the Bears from that season. Oh, that was so cool. And even on the offensive side, even though the Bears were not known for that or have ever really been known for that, they still had some pretty good names. They had uh, Thomas Jones as the running back. And then for wide receivers, it was Moose and Muhammad and Bernard Berrien were the wide receivers. Uh, Desmond Clark was the tight end. Those are the names I remember. Um, And then Olin Krutz was the center for the Bears. Uh, And Roberto Garza, I want to say, was a right guard. That season was awesome. And then, of course, the Super Bowl, when Hester returned that opening kickoff for a touchdown, I just right there and then I was like, this game is ours. Like, I'm about to watch the Bears. Similar to how you felt with uh, the Tigers when they swept the Yankees in the ALCS. Yeah. Uh, When Hester returned that opening kickoff, I was like, this is it. I'm about to witness the Bears be Super Bowl champs for the first time since 1985. And then Rex Grossman happened. <laughs> <laughs> As a kid, I used to do like, like a lot of kids do, I'd be like impressions of players. So like when I would be playing wiffle ball, I would try to stand, do a stance like Alfonso Soriano or Derek right, Lee right. or whoever. Or if I was pitching, I'd be like, you know, here, yeah. check out my Randy Johnson or whatever. Um, yeah. And so for football, I would do it for quarterbacks, and I would always, do, <laughs> I would always tell people like, "Hey, do you want to see my Rex Grossman?" And and then I would just like fumble it up in the air and fall down on my butt, uh, <laughs> or, or just like throw it on the ground. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, so that that season though, that was definitely like uh, that was had had to be my highest point, my most favorite moment uh, as being a Bears fan. I mean, leading into then the worst moment is pretty much the rest of my Bears fandom. <laughs> from that point Everything on. else. <laughs> um, like, now, I mean, there were definitely some high points. Like, yeah, when the Bears got Jay Cutler, everyone was telling me that he was, like, legit. Mm-hmm. And the year before, he was a Pro Bowl quarterback for the Broncos. And so oh, yeah. he was, like, he was going to be a big deal for the Bears, like a big mm-hmm. turning point. And the f- second year he was here, the Bears went all the way to the NFC Championship game. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to come back to that in a second because that now I'm thinking about that's probably the worst point in my Bears fandom. Um, the championship game? Yes. Um, <laughs> but, but Cutler, like, he was one of those quarterbacks where I appreciate him more now than I did while he yeah. was here. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. But – I just there was something about him. I just was not never the biggest fan of Cutler, and this was okay. kind of disappointing because everyone said he was we're supposed to be so good. Um, kind of had a, like an attitude thing, like is my impression as a rival fan. Like his skills weren't the problem; it was more just like I don't know. I wouldn't even say effort. Just kind of like his just his face, like his attitude. <laughs> just like I could see how that might be frustrating. I love that you're mentioning his face because like his face. His body language emoted so much. Um, yeah. But, you know, you can't really, like, fault him for that either because it's like – Sure you can. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason that there's smoking Jay Cutler memes because his face always looked like he would rather have a cigarette in his mouth. <laughs> yeah, I, I forgot about those, yeah. <laughs> How did you forget? No. Uh, anyway – so my interest in him was kind of always up and down. Um, 
And then after they, this part made me so mad. The Bears fired Lovey Smith after a 10-6 and six season. So I, I want to say, I don't remember exactly what year it was, but the Bears back-to-back seasons went 9-7 and seven and then 10-6. and six. But both years, they missed the playoffs. And Lovey Smith was fired after a 10-6 season. Oh, made me so mad. And yeah, the Bears brought in. Yeah, about that. Like, your thoughts on um, Lovey Smith. Like, would you have kept him? Would you have fired him? Like, I think we talked no. about this when it happened. I know this is revisionist history a little bit, but no, there's no way. I mean, I feel like. I would be smart enough to look at things and say, look, this was a back-to-back winning seasons, which winning seasons are hard to come by in the NFL, and he had them, Mm -hmm. and they didn't result in playoffs. So, yeah, sure, maybe they didn't win enough big games, and maybe that's the criticism. And, yeah, he had been the Bears coach for a long time at that point, like eight or nine years. But, like, you still can't take away the credit for a 10 and six season. And just to kind of get into it after that, Mark Tressman was hired as the next coach. He was a self-proclaimed offensive genius from the Canadian football league. And I mean, there's a reason that you're the coach in the Canadian football league. It's also probably not hard to be an offensive genius in the Canadian football league. (laughs) Because yeah. probably any time a player probably tries to tackle someone in the CFL, they're probably apologizing for it. Yeah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> sorry for that. Yeah. Sorry, Because I remember when he was hired, he was the hot new thing. And, like, the way Detroit, coming from that perspective, they looked at him, like, scared that they found the next hot new thing. You know, like, he was like a hidden gem from this exotic Canadian team. And they're going to dominate the league, you know. it's like, But like you said, the other side of it is maybe there's a reason you're – not already in the NFL. Looking back, like you said, revisionist history, looking back on that, it is funny the way the perception was when he was hired. Well, the first year, I remember having mixed feelings about it with him because the Bears went like, oh, yeah, okay, this is another, uh, okay, so I'm starting to rack up just memories of losing to the Packers as my worst uh, memories, and that's what this one get into, I guess. Um Oh, but that season, the, the Bears, you're thinking of them too now. Yeah. Um, the Bears were 8-7 and seven going into the last game. And everybody hung their hat because after – that was the year, I want to say, that Peyton Manning's Denver Broncos were, like, far and above the best offensive team. That was when Peyton threw, like, how 50-some touchdowns yeah, or whatever. Just an um, ungodly number of touchdowns, yeah. Yeah, yeah, set the record, stuff like that. And so everyone was like, yeah, but the Bears were the second-best offense based on all the numbers under Mark Tressman. And I was like, and yet they're still 8-7 and seven going into the last game. Mm-hmm. And going into the last game, that the NFC North must have been so bad that year because the last game was Bears-Packers. It was winner – takes all, moves on to the playoffs. The Bears were 8-7, and seven and the Packers were 7-7 seven, seven and freaking 1. Oh, I, can only, I can only assume they tied the Lions. Probably. <laughs> um, and I remember when they tied that season being like, ha-ha, a tie. Like, sucks mm-hmm. to be you. 
but right. it kind of bit you in the end because mm-hmm. the Packers w- win that game to go to the playoffs, and in doing so, eight seven and one is just slightly better winning percentage than eight and eight, yeah. which gets gets you the division win and into the playoffs. Uh, and it was just so so frustrating, so disheartening, and like the way they lost, like. The Bears had blown coverage by their safety, Chris Conti, and Rodgers just throws this like little dump to Randall Cobb, which, which may I just say, and this is probably where I'm going to get a little out of control. So hold me where, back. I know, hold where, me back. I know where you're going. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anybody listening, if you're a Packers fan, you might as well just tune out. Yeah, you might want to mute for a second. Give them like a few, three or four minutes and we'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> if I don't punch my computer before that. So tell us um, how good Rodgers is. What were you going to say? Uh, the, the, my main – the thing about him is everyone's like, oh, he's the best. Like, he's the talented. He's, you know he – yeah, sure, maybe he's not the GOAT. Maybe he only has one Super Bowl, but he's, like, the most talented quarterback ever and all this stuff. And I'm like, the only – is look, having arm strength is not that special – because a lot of quarterbacks have arm strength. That that's he does have accuracy. I'll give him that. But 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 the big thing is is he's really just smart. He's not like, and, and I say that because at least I feel this way. Most of the big plays that he's ever had against the Bears has been, oh look, there's contact downfield. I'm gonna chuck this ball somewhere nearby even though I don't intend ever for my receiver to catch this, just so that the refs will throw the flag for pass interference. (laughs) And now all of a sudden the Packers who are stuck on the Bears are stuck on their own, like, 32-yard line are now on the Bears' red zone Mm -hmm. from just a dumb downfield throw that was never intended to be caught. Like, that just feels so cheap to me. Always hated that. And so then this – the other way I've seen him succeed is in blown coverages. Yeah, it's not hard to th- throw – I mean, I've seen Mitch Trubisky connect to receivers in blown coverages too. Like, it's not hard. They're, they're wide open. <laughs> like, you just throw it. Um, anyway, Packers fans listening, it really wasn't as harsh as I could be. I'm trying to keep this family friendly since I have a copper in the house and a newborn. Don't want to it is our first on. episode, so we have to ease into it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I don't want to have too much colorful language at this point. Right, um, yeah. But the color of my colorful language will always be green and yellow. I can say that for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that leads me to my other, like, worst moment as a Bears fan. Yeah. Was the Bears-Packers game in that 2010 NFC Championship game. It yeah, was the I want first... to come back to that, yeah. Yeah, it was the first time the Bears and Packers had ever met in the playoffs. And it was so frustrating. It was, like the, it was a really close game. It was a really good game. The Bears were neck and neck. And then Cutler, I want to say he injured his thumb. I think, unless I'm thinking of a different play from a different year, I want to say he threw a bad interception. It was up to him to make the tackle. And he, like, as he's tackling, he, like, injured his thumb on the play. Mm. And so he went to the sidelines and sat out the rest of the game. And the Bears put in their backup, Caleb Haney. More like, Caleb, shoot me, please. And 
uh, he came in and like one of the first plays he did was he snapped the ball and then threw it right into the chest of BJ Raji, who yeah, I remember this is a 300 plus pound lineman who, I mean, never really did anything else in his career other than get injured, but he threw it into his chest deep in their own end. And BJ Raji just basically danced the ball into the end zone. Yeah. And at that point, the game was pretty much lost, but it was just the most oh, – it was so crushing. And the worst part about it that a lot of people forget, and you may not have even known, but I'm going to point this out right now because it's just part that really gets me fired up about this. Mm-hmm. And this maybe is the biggest thing I have against Lovey Smith. Mm-hmm. The Game 16 of that year was against the Packers. And I don't remember exactly what everyone's records were, but – the Packers had to win game 16 in order to make the playoffs. And Lovey Smith, who historically as the Bears coach, has a really bad record beating the Packers. It's really bad. It's it's almost embarrassingly bad how hard of a time he had beating the Packers. It doesn't help when it's Favre and Rodgers, but still. Yeah. In, In any case... That game, Lovey decides to rest everybody, and the Packers won like ten to seven. Like it wasn't even impressive. It was like this really like boring game, frankly. Mm-hmm. And the Packers barely eked out a win over the Bears' backups. And the Packers were like the lowest wild card seed, and they went on and beat the Bears. Came back to beat you in the NFC Championship game. Yeah, like you could have gone to the Super Bowl if you would have just beat the Packers on Game 16. Like, dude, take care of business. Yeah, uh, so frustrating. And of course, then Aaron Rodgers had to go on and beat the Steelers in that yeah, yeah. Super Bowl, and that was easily my least favorite Super Bowl that I can yeah. ever remember. That one sucked. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, because never really the biggest Steelers fan either. Right. I would have a similar feeling if the Packers and Patriots played. Although now, uh, again, if you're listening to this, you may not know this, uh, especially if this is like 10 or 12 years in the future, but Tom Brady actually signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for the 2020 NFL season. Anyway, so that's, I guess, my overview of my Bears fandom. Yeah. And that's that's really interesting, too, just like – as I transition, talk about the lines a little bit, like asking you about Lovey Smith, because I see a lot of parallels with him and um, Jim Caldwell. Like, I don't know how much you remember of him being coach for the Lions. His record with the Lions. So his first year, 2014, he was 11 and five. Then he went seven and nine, then nine and seven, nine and seven. And then he was fired. And so yeah. like the thing with, the thing with him is like, yeah, he wins games, but he's not going to take us to the next level. So he was there for four seasons. Three of them were winning seasons. One of them, he won 11 games. We went to the playoffs twice. We lost both games, but one was a super close game to Cowboys, which I still just hurts because we did get screwed by the refs in that game. But um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's like you fire a coach because he's good, not great. And you don't think he's going to take you to the next level. And then you just fall off a cliff after that. So obviously hindsight, you look back and be like, oh, we should have kept him. But 
that's why I asked about Lovey Smith because I wondered what your thoughts were when they let him go at the time because yeah. it's so frustrating to go from <laughs> we want someone who's going to take us to the next level and then you just take five steps back and it's like well so I guess to kind of catch everybody up to modern day bears at that point so Lovey Smith gets fired and yeah. I mentioned Mark Tressman was the coach the Bears missed the playoffs on an embarrassingly bad blown coverage by Chris Conti. Mm-hmm. Mark Trestman then follows that up with a really bad year. I don't remember what the record was. I want to say six and ten. And then the Bears fired him and hired John Fox. And everyone was like, oh, John Fox, he's going to be great. He led the Panthers and he led the Broncos to the Super Bowl. Like, that's what the Bears need. Um he and Cutler rubbed the wrong way. Like it was just bad from the beginning. And um, then for whatever reason, Ryan Pace, who's the current GM decided that the bears should get Mike Glennon to be the starting quarterback, which was a dumb idea. And then after four games, he was like, you know, instead we're going to start Mitch Trubisky. Now, let me just say, I wanted the bears to draft Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Um, but when they got Trubisky, I was cool with it because there were a lot of experts behind that pick at the time. And I was kind of all in and I was excited when he started, but I hold the position that really what hurt him in terms of his success is that he started prematurely under a defensive minded head coach being John Fox. I think if Matt Nagy, who's the current Bears coach and very offensive-minded, if it had been the same situation but with Matt Nagy as the coach, I think you might be looking at a different story for Mitch Trubisky. Now, do I think he would be equaling Deshaun Watson or Pat Mahomes' levels? Certainly not. But I think you'd be talking at least about a competent quarterback that's not about to be replaced by future youth pastor Nick Foles. (laughs) Yeah. He's declared that, by the way, that's I'm saying that. Okay. Yeah, Which, real quick, quick debate topic about the Bears. I saw someone tweet out, to all you Bears fans, like, which of these would you be more interested in? The Bears have a phenomenal season with Nick Foles and guaranteed a spot in the NFC Championship game, but lose. Hmm. Or that the Bears would tank, have a horrible season, in efforts to get Trevor Lawrence. Wow. And yeah. it's a really hard one because as a Bears fan, you look at Trevor Lawrence and you're like, wow, this guy could be like the real deal. <laughs> yeah. And we've never had a real deal quarterback really. But at the same time, tanking, and this stuff would be topics on future podcasts, but tanking is such like uncertainty to it. Yeah. I was going to say uh, there's no sure thing with that either. Yeah, I mean, the NFL is the surest as it gets in that, you know, the worst the record. Anything, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah, NBA, NHL, there's lottery, things like that. But you have to still fairly conscientiously try to tank. I mean, this past year, everyone said the Dolphins were tanking, and they, they don't pick until fifth or right. sixth or something. Like, yeah, the Lions were trying to win now, and they're picking third. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, um, and it's like with the Bears and how talented their defense is, I feel like it'd be very difficult for them to tank to the number one pick. You'd have to like sit players. Oh, yeah. Because you're that much more talented than the teams who are probably going to be picking 
Lawrence now, last year. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I could argue that if like game one, Khalil Mack like tears his ACL and like Nick Foles, they both have season ending injuries. Then probably I could argue that, yeah, go ahead and tank. But mm-hmm. if the defense is healthy and if Foles is healthy, I think you want to win as much as you can. Anyway, that was an interesting topic. All right. Um, so then to finish catching up, yeah, Matt Nagy's the coach now. Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles, the current QB controversy, like QB controversy every year. Right, Everyone's yeah. saying Trubisky is done for. Some people think he's going to have a bounce back season. What do you I think? Kind of, I think he could have a bounce back season. I don't think he's going to be given a chance. Everyone was saying, oh, he'll start the first couple games, and then if it's bad, Foles will step in. I don't think so. I think Foles is the guy. Hmm. And I think Trubisky is the backup this year, especially because of this. They talked about there being a quarterback competition. Well, because of the coronavirus, it's hard to have a competition when there's no training camp which the NFL pretty much has already said they're not having. Right. So it's going to be hard for Trubisky to convince his coaches otherwise. Now, at the same time, the Bears got uh, John Filippo as the quarterback's coach. And John Filippo has experience with basically turning subpar quarterbacks into, at the very least, competent quarterbacks with, like, flashy flashes of stardom, I guess. I'm trying to think of one of the quarterbacks he's coached, but I know this to be true of him. And a lot of people think that that could really have a positive impact on Trubisky. I'm really on the fence. I guess my position is I think he could have a bounce back here. I think he's backed himself to a corner that I think he would have to play himself out of in a backup quarterback role. I think Foles is the starter. However, I think Trubisky is plenty talented enough that I wouldn't be surprised, and it'd be the most Bears thing ever for him to go to another team and to all of a sudden have, like, several great years. Talking about frustration, yeah, I totally relate to that. (laughs) Yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah, it's the worst. (laughs) No, seriously, tell me about it. Tell me about your frustration with the Lions. Oh, so am I going to get into that now? You want me to just jump in on the lights? Let me go pick up a case of beer real quick. Yeah, <laughs> my, yeah give me a second, man. I, um, all right. Where do I even start with the Lions, man? Like, if, if you're watching this podcast, I assume you have an interest in sports. And if you have any kind of interest in sports, you know enough about the Lions that you know I don't even need to say anything here. Like, Well, before you get into the Lions, let me just say this about the Lions. From my perspective, I've owned – three Fords in my life and every single Ford has lost the capacity to have air conditioning at a fairly young age. <laughs> so I know that doesn't directly deal with the Lions, but they are owned by the Fords. And I, it's a pretty, yeah, it relates pretty well. Actually. I've grown, grown in my dislike for Fords. So there's my preface. Let's talk about Fords then. Let's get into it. Um, all right. To sum up, basically I'm just going to, I'm going to make a statement about the Lions, and then we'll kind of follow the structure. But I just need to, from the beginning, just kind of vent real quick. I won't get into it too much. Like you said earlier, like, first episode, I'm trying to be a little positive, but I could go on and on. So Detroit is a football wasteland. It's, it's a hellhole where dreams go to die. 
in all of human history, there's never been an organization, a team, an army or a country. There's never been anything with worse leadership than the Detroit Lions. So I'm not saying that the Ford family, which we just talked about, is worse than Hitler, but I'm not not saying that. The Lions make the Hindenburg look like a well-designed aircraft. Hey, real quick, on note on that, you 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 were a history major in college, right? You yep. know that Henry Ford was majorly anti-Semite. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, Hitler had, he was greatly inspired by Ford's uh, biography. Well, we won't go there. But yeah, he, yeah. But no, that, that is interesting part of history. And he was real, yeah, automotive with Germany and everything too. Yeah, there's actually a lot of interesting parallels there. So yeah, basically what we are saying is that the lions are run by Hitler. Basically, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, the lions make blockbuster video look like a successful business model. It was, so it was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for it fell off a cliff. Um, so more, more like fire fest. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the lions are weird. It's like, I don't remember, I guess I don't have like a first moment where I remember watching them with the tigers. I remember going to a game and like a specific moment when I became a fan, the lions were just kind of always there. I remember being aware of them and I watching them on TV, but I don't remember which season or what moment that I started caring really. So yeah, I can't even like really pinpoint a time when I became a fan. Moved to Detroit in 2005, didn't have any interest in the NFL really, just kind of a vague awareness of like which teams had won Super Bowls and stuff. So I just started watching and it's uh. Like, where do, you want, where do you want me to go with this? Because I could go a lot of different directions on the lines. I mean, there's a big part of me that just wants to hear you, like... Cry. Just, yeah. I was going to say bleed out, but... <laughs> um, uh, there's a big part of me that wants to hear that. But, okay, like, let's look at it this way. I okay. think that you could probably go on for pretty much forever and probably think of at least three horrible moments from every season you've watched the Lions that you could share. But yeah. I, I think all the listeners, including myself, would be more hard-pressed and interested to hear about any positive memories you have about the Lions. So hmm. that's, that's where I most want to start. I most want to know, and my guess is that your peak of your fandom is the same as your favorite memory because there's probably only one. <laughs> Which one are you thinking of? I don't know. I'm telling you that you probably only have one positive oh, memory what, of the Lions. Whatever so. my one positive memory is, it also has to be my peak. <laughs> You're saying, yeah. Yes. And that's, yeah. I don't know, man. It's like all my, and I'm not trying to be like the overly pessimistic which, I mean, that's kind of the point of the podcast in some ways, but like with the Tigers and other teams, like I talked about, maybe the team, the season kind of fell short a little bit, but there was still a lot of real positives along the way where it wasn't like championship or bust. I still consider like 2006 for the Tigers a successful season, lots of good memories. But honestly, like for the Lions, I can't remember ever having a significant positive. Like when a game or bust. Yeah, it's like my best memories with the Lions are like regular season wins and not ones that got us to the postseason or anything. Just like a literally just a regular season win that was fun. They haven't won a postseason game since like the 90s, right? Okay, yeah, so let me start with that. 
Okay, firstly, the Lions have never won a Super Bowl, like ever. So we did have some championships before the Super Bowl era. So like back when players wore leather helmets and crap. <laughs> but um, forget Super Bowls. Um, since 1960s, so getting back to what you said, is the Lions have only won a single playoff game since 1960. One oh my playoff word. win. Tim Tebow has as many playoff wins as the Lions. Oof. And so, That's... like, you think at some point you would just accidentally win one. Right. Okay, I'm, I need to slow down before I just keep going. But I'm like, yeah, so I have no – No, I mean, no, you're right, though, because, like, the NFL, by pretty much everybody's opinions, is, like, very random sport. Yeah. Yeah, and you would just think logically, yeah, you would, like, accidentally – like, even if you were trying to lose, you would still somehow pull out a win somewhere because along the line. Because the NFL – it's a shorter season, so the odds are injuries, things like that, you're going to make the playoffs occasionally. Yeah. And the Lions have made the playoffs some. And then you figure you're not playing a series or anything, so it's not like you have to win best of seven against some team you're completely overmatched against. You have to win a game. Like, yeah. at some point, you just win a playoff game. Like, yeah, it's I mean, just unbelievable. I mean, like, I, might be, I might be getting ahead of ourselves, but, like, I mean, think about how Appalachian State felt when. Oh, I won't. Oh, never mind. <laughs> oh man. I'll leave oh, that for man. the college football section of our Yeah, sneak peek for that. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, like, because I said the Lions are the team for the pro Detroit team, the team that I care the most about. Nothing comes close to Michigan college football. So we'll talk about that later on. But yeah, that's that's the one that I, I care the most about. As far as the Lions, though, it's like, I guess I'd say my biggest positives are more like certain players you kind of remember fondly. Like Barry with Sanders was before my time, but like Calvin Johnson, obviously um, one of the best to ever play the position. And Stafford, I've always been a big Stafford fan. We've had great kickers, which is kind of, you know, pathetic. But my dad always made the joke that Lions kickers are so good because they always get so much practice. Um, but like Jason Hansen and now Matt Slater, like, yeah. 100%. I used that strategy the first few years I played fantasy football. Mm-hmm. I always drafted uh, Sebastian Janikowski because he played for the Raiders, who are horrible. So I was like, yes. well, the only way they're scoring is with him. And yep. he could kick like 60-plus yard field goals. Yeah. And then same with Hanson. I think Jason Hanson, he's one of the lead, leading scorers in NFL history just from all I'm sports. sure. Yeah, I so. think – I'm pretty sure Vinatieri is – leading scorer but Vinatieri also played forever ago yeah yeah Adam Vinatieri still is um Jason Hansen's number four all time it's like obviously the highest as far as Lions so it's like so I'd say like memories like that with players are my greatest memories but even that though is like that's tainted I, I wanted to get to this at some point so let me read um here's some things that just like if you're not a fan of the Lions maybe you don't know all the drama that goes on with players but like one of the most frustrating things about the Lions is the fact that your best players, like the best players you've ever had, retire early. So, like, let me start with Barry Sanders. So, Barry Sanders is universally considered one of the best running backs of all time. And he suddenly announces his retirement in, I think, 1998 or 99. Um, but it was two years after signing a six-year contract extension. So, he's still... Like, I don't know if I'd say in the prime of his career, but he's still, 
he's still got time left on the team. He's still a great player. Oh. Um, but he retires suddenly, just without any. <laughs> and in his autobiography, Sanders wrote this. Um, here's quoting Barry Sanders. He says, my retirement letter didn't even hint at my frustration because I didn't want to take shots at people as I left. Management had let quality players slip away. We've been losing for years. Now we're right back where we were when I arrived. Okay, so Sanders retires, frustrated with the team. Basically, you're the best player you've ever had is telling you, you're not as good as I am. You're not deserving of the effort I'm putting in, so I'm just going to retire. So that's a shot. Um, lots of, like, it's one of those things where he hadn't been back for a long time and then finally started coming back to games for coin flips and stuff, and the city kind of had to forgive him. Like, this whole big thing. People were upset at the way it ended. And then there was disputes over bonus money and stuff because he literally dipped out in the middle of his contract. So it's like... I didn't realize it was that. But I knew he wasn't fun, but I didn't know that it was that hard for them to get him to come back. Yeah. And so that's been like more recent even. It's like, so, okay, that's the first example, Barry Sanders. So then a couple of decades later, the Lions, who I already mentioned, they once again have one of the best all-time players at his position. So Calvin Johnson or Megatron, he's one of... Honestly, he's one of the most dominant athletes I've ever seen in my life in any sport. Um, oh, for a hundred percent, he changed the game too because yeah, he he basically was the first example of the like the freak in terms of height and weight yeah. and muscle mass mm-hmm. for a wide receiver. Like you obviously had dominant receivers before, like Jerry Rice, obviously, but like this guy just being like a toss it up, even in double, triple coverage. Like there's pictures of him being triple covered or like having four guys on him you put two safeties a corner and another corner comes over at the end and he's high pointing a ball in the middle of four guys like just oh my gosh you know like like a cheat code in a video game like with Stafford got a lot of criticism because it's like now that now that Calvin Johnson's gone how's he gonna do because he was so dominant he was considered like a crutch like any quarterback could just throw it to him if it helps you feel better at all if Calvin Johnson was on the Packers Aaron Rodgers would have just thrown little dump passes to him when the Packers bone. So, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's just like so. Calvin Johnson just dominant, like one of the best at his position all time. Um, so now after Barry's left, we have that all that is- those issues. Calvin Johnson, he's possibly on the pace to pass Jerry Rice's all time record for receiving yards, which is unthinkable. Um, he had already oh. passed his single season record. Um, which I think is still still stands as the single season receiving record. He had one game where he had two hundred, I think it was two hundred ninety eight receiving yards in one game. Just a freak athlete, completely dominant. No, I've never seen anybody like him. So he was amazing. But then, like Barry Sanders, Calvin Johnson makes an early exit. And he retires in twenty sixteen, following his sixth consecutive Pro Bowl season. So still dominant, still at the peak of his career, and he retires unexpectedly. And so then, like Sanders, he's also in disputes with the team over his contract and bonus money, and he's spoken out against the team recently. So here's some quotes from Calvin Johnson. A lot of former Lions told me if they were in my shoes, they would have walked away too. I hear that from people all the time. And then another quote, when I retired, I did some consulting and went around working with some other teams. I would think, whoa, this is how you're actually supposed to take care of your players. Damn, we don't have none of this in Detroit. 
So as a fan, it's just frustrating when your best players literally quit early because they decide that the team's going nowhere, the team doesn't care about them, the team doesn't want to win as much as they do, and that the team doesn't deserve their effort. Was this from the – was that the Bleacher Report article? I read the entirety of that article, and, like, to be honest, my heart went out to him. And, like, yeah. I'm pretty sure he was the one, too, that talked about, like, he would get high every game – and he showed, like, pictures of his hands and stuff. The thing that I guess is most eye-opening about what he has said is, like, that the mistreatment from the Lions, like, is a legitimate thing. And the fact that they don't win does, just makes it that much worse. Exactly, yeah. And that's the thing is, like, I'm not at all upset at him. How do you, as an organization, let – yourselves will be embarrassed like this and he's telling the truth this is the way you treat your athletes and like you said you can put up with more if you're actually winning so no but it's like and he's talked a lot about concussions and like you said just like arthritis and pain from playing and um, a lot of it's just the game in general but it a, a lot of it too is specifically the way the lions ownership and organization the way that the organizations run so that's just super frustrating is like how do you get players to come play in Detroit free agents or how do you keep your good players when you already have this culture that's driven out two of the best players we'll ever see in our lifetime. Um, yeah. Like that just is one of the big things that just epitomizes my frustration as a Lions fan. Oh yeah. Enough on that, I guess. Um, but yeah. I just wanted to mention that cause like if you're a newer fan or you are aware of the players, but you maybe don't know about the drama afterwards, you know, you might kind of just think, they retired early, just you might not know the reason why, but a lot of it's because of the way the, the Lions organization's managed. Um, well, two comments. One is I have a lot of feelings like that towards the Chicago Bulls. So going yeah. from when we're done with talking about the Lions, that might be an easy segue to the NBA, but mm-hmm. um, the other comment I was just going to say is, a while ago, I asked you what your favorite memory was, and you, you launched into Barry Sanders and Alvin Johnson leaving. I mean, that just proves the point. It's like, <laughs> like my, mem- my best memories deal with players, and then my immediate next thought is, well, those players left. Like, yeah. <laughs> that just shows you, like, or my best memory is this season, which we didn't make the playoff. There's no good that doesn't end in bad. So, yeah, I don't even know where to go for best memories. Well, I, I have a question. Yeah. Maybe this will help direct you. So, okay, you mentioned that back when you are talking about Jim Caldwell, that yeah. his first season they were 11-5. and five. Yeah. And so I'm assuming – I mean, that sounds like a playoff record to me. And I remember them playing the playoffs. I know that they lost, like, the first game, right? Okay, I could get it. Yeah, yes, they lost <laughs> – I could really get into this too now. Um, was this against the Cowboys? Yeah. Was later that season, later that postseason, when the whole Des caught it debate came up? I don't know if I was the same. I'm not sure about that actually. Okay. I'm not sure, yeah. But um, why don't you tell us about where the uh, the catch rule originated? Okay, so we just talked about <laughs> Calvin Johnson. Um, you may or may not have heard of the Calvin Johnson rule. Um, 
But if you watch football now, you know that there's been a lot of, like, process of the catch, what defines a catch, how do you know, like, what do you look for for a catch. So if you've never seen this, actually, our Twitter right now, our Twitter page, this is, like, the, the cover photo or the banner at the top for now, at least, um, is a picture of this play. But if you haven't seen it, you need to go look at the highlights. I think this is – oh, man. Um, what season was this? Do you, do you remember? Ooh. I, I can't remember what year this was. I don't. It wasn't a playoff game or anything, so I can't remember what year it was. It was just a regular season game. No, it was like the, um, it was like the opening game to the season. It was like really early on. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, Lions. I don't even remember what the score was at this point. Um, the Lions was, were down. We were down a few points at least. Yeah, just like five. a couple, like two okay. or three points. Okay. Because. I remember, so Calvin Johnson, he catches it in the end zone, final seconds of the game to win the game against the Bears, just a regular season game. Um, as he's going to the ground, he kind of, he turns his body. He has the football in one hand. He presses, he like puts that hand with the football onto the ground, put like with the football between his hand and the ground, and then he stands up and just leaves the football on the ground. Now, um, mate, real quick, let yeah. me just say from a Bears fan's perspective. Yeah, yeah. The way he puts the ball on the ground is not like, from my memory, it's not like to help support himself. It was like with authority, like I caught this ball, I'm slamming it into, like almost like, like almost like, it almost. yeah, like yeah. spiking it. It just was like still mm-hmm. in his hand when he spiked it. He wasn't even, like you said, like he wasn't even, forget like trying to catch the ball. He wasn't even trying to maintain his balance or like stumbling into the end zone. He turned around his, I think he fell on like his, his side or on his knee he spins around, he slams the ball into the ground and, like, stands up and celebrates. They review it, and they – you just have to watch the play if you haven't seen it. Um, but they review and say he didn't complete the process of the catch. And at this point, like, we haven't heard any kind of – at this, as far as I can remember, there wasn't really much debate as far as what made up the catch. And maybe it's just my memory as a Lions fan, but I can't remember any time before this where, like, we had – because Dez was after this, right? Oh, for sure. No, this, like, like this this is how – this is one of the ways Calvin Johnson also changed the game was that, like, I don't – I distinctly don't ever remember there being a debate about what is or is not a catch until that game. Yeah, which that's the crazy thing is, like, you would think that this would make you say, okay, well, that's a catch, but that looked questionable, so maybe next season we have to put some rules in place as far as – like, just out of nowhere, just unprecedented. I had never even known, like, never considered this happening. They just come out and say, has not completed the process of the catch or something like that. And it's like, this is language and, like, description that's never been used before. What are you talking about? It wasn't even the kind of thing where it was kind of questionable and I think they got the call wrong. Like, I don't know how you can even make that call at that point with the rules that were in place. And so then that leads into the whole how do you define a catch? And then you have Des Bryant, which I still do think he caught that. Um, and it's like, how, what is the catch? When is possession made? Football move? Like all these, this terminology now. It really has like cheapened the game of the NFL in the NFL. Cause like, sure. Maybe it may, it requires like higher levels of talent to come up with catches, but it really, it brings it to the, this point where I don't even, like, want to watch. Like, I, I'm obviously going to watch because I love sports, but 
it's just so stupid. And deliberating between is that a catch, isn't that a catch? Like, there's been just yeah. as many blown calls as as in like that they miss what should have been a no catch as there have been blown calls where they call a completed catch incomplete. Yeah. And and it's like and now we're at the point where nobody knows what a catch is. And it's like the game is so micro analyzed, super long replays. And like you said, like I feel the same way. It went from everybody knew what a catch was. I don't remember having issues with this. Then this happens, the Lions get shafted. And then now everybody has to analyze, is this a catch? How many steps did he take? Did he turn his head this many degrees? Is it like how many fingers were on the football for how many seconds? Like now it's like you're, you're trying to like scientifically diagram a catch. It all started because the Lions got screwed basically is the way I look at it. You know, The other thing that I've always kind of disliked about catches as opposed to other plays in the game is that when you watch a – a rusher try to get into the end zone. All they have to do is break the plane with the, the smallest little tip of the nose of the football to count as a touchdown. Yet, at the same time, the receiver has to catch it, has to get both toes down, and maintain possession of it all the way through their fall to the ground. Right, even and, if, they're, if they take two steps in bounds, and then a step out of bounds, you'd think the play would be dead at that point. But then if they trip and drop the ball, like, and maybe this isn't a great example, but it'll be debated after at the least. play is over. You know, even after the play is finished and the play is dead, they can make their original catch not count because of something that happened. Like, yeah, it's just so weird. So basically what we're trying to say, listeners, is that the Lions getting shafted has literally changed the landscape of the entire NFL. Not for the better. Welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, so I keep like, coming back to do you, what, what, what is your fondest memory as a Lions fan? Like, what is the one thing that you can keep coming back to? Okay, here's – I'll say this. Like, this is – these are my best memories. Um, so I've been a Matthew Stafford kind of like de- defender or apologist, I guess, for a while. Like, a lot of people think he's the problem in Detroit. And I, th- I feel like you can maybe say as a Bears fan, like as an outside fan, I think most people would look at the Lions and say he's the best player on the team. He's far from the problem. He's like the only thing keeping them relevant at all. Last um, year before he got injured, he looked really good. Yeah, he did. And that looked like it was disappointing he got hurt because it looked like it was going to be a big bounce back. And as he's getting older, like it, his chances of doing that the next year is just keep going down. So, yeah, that was disappointing to see him be injured like that. But um, So I've always been a big defender of him. And two of my best memories are both from him and not like the most talented play or like where he just dominated the game, but just the kind of gritty gutsy performance. And it's like a cliche. It's Detroit. They want like the tough, they want that like with the Pistons, which we'll talk about. They want that kind of like tough, just go to work, work hard, bad boys. Um, You know, like Detroit's a blue collar town. Yeah. It's, It's one of those, like, every town, I'm sure, has their own cliches. Detroit's like, yeah, we just want a blue-collar guy who goes to work. Like, yeah. But with Stafford, though, he is one of those guys where just the way he toughed out at certain moments. So I remember he had played against – had one game against the Browns. Of course, these are both just regular season games because, like I said, there's no big postseason moments. But against the Browns, he had a, a shoulder injury, went out of the game. He came back in to throw the game-winning touchdown, clearly hurt on the field. Then afterwards, he's like limping into the locker room. And it's, that was early in his career. And you're like, okay, that was 
Like, you respect his toughness on that. It's amazing um, how much effort it took to beat the Browns. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's just, like, <laughs> that shows how depressing this all is. My best moment is a regular season win, which we barely beat the Browns. Um, <laughs> um, but, yeah, just trying to be positive. My next one, <laughs> we beat the, the Cowboys regular season game. So Stafford completes a big pass right at the end of the game, a few seconds left on the clock. He runs down. I know this play. I know this. I vividly remember. I just love his guts in this. You know, he runs up to the line. The defensive line gets back, and they're literally just standing there, like hands on their hips. He's just going to spike the ball, and he just lunges over the offensive line, reaches into the end zone, and takes the lead with like two seconds left to win the game. And it's just so gutsy because if that doesn't work, you're probably the clock's still running. I don't know if we had timeouts at this point. I'm assuming no because he's trying to stop. He's trying to run up and down the ball at the one. So if this doesn't work, you're losing the game on the one-yard line. Um, and just he just runs up and just leaps over the pile and just extends the ball. Those are a couple of the moments that come to mind. So, yeah, I vividly remember that game. Yeah. Yeah. Like you brought up with the Browns. Like, it is kind of like coming back to the negative side of things. It's just so frustrating that my best – we've had – generational talents. I don't know if I'd say Stafford is one, but being a number one overall pick, and he is an average quarterback. You have Calvin Johnson, who's undoubtedly one of the best receivers of all time, and it's like your best moments you have to look back on are regular season. You don't have a single playoff win to show for it. It's frustrating. Let me just channel my inner Joe Buck for a minute. Oh, and don't forget that Matthew Stafford and Clayton Kershaw are good friends. <laughs> That's another, yeah. It's, it is funny how, yeah, local radio and stuff, they poke fun at that all the time, like <laughs> just bringing it up at random times. By the way, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that reminds me, going back to, to when you said Kershaw, Jeff Smarja, I just looked up, yeah, he went to Valpo High School, so that's my claim to fame. Is I, oh, nice. My, <laughs> so, yeah. Not well, that I even grew up. So. Yeah. You just married into a family that's from Valpo. That has seen a famous person. <laughs> my pretty cool. My cousin went to Rolling Meadows High School, which is where wait for it, Jimmy Garoppolo attended. And nice. he actually had Garoppolo like over to his house before like, cool. to, to play video games or whatever. Yeah. So that's my claim to fame. Actually, quick quick side story that is related yeah. to sports, but I used to paint at uh, elementary schools uh, mm-hmm. during my summers off from college, and yeah. I would paint at my local school district in um, in Illinois where Garoppolo is from. Like watercolors, like painting walls and stuff. Uh, definitely painting walls Um, (laughs) you just go in and finger paint in the classrooms the closest the probably the most meticulous thing i had to paint though was they were like they were like all right i need you to paint this it was like think of red brick right it was like Mm -hmm. a fully red brick wall and they're like we want you to paint this white because we're having a professional come in to paint a mural on top of this and i was just kind of like i i had to i went over that wall (laughs) Yeah, probably like six or seven times to get it to like fully be white. It's funny. It was ridiculous. But anyway, the one school that we were painting in was Jimmy Garoppolo's elementary school. And his mom, his mom either worked there or used to work there also. And so 
on the wall, as we're like painting in the main office of this school, on the wall is a autographed, framed Jimmy Garoppolo Super Bowl Patriots jersey. And it's honestly one of the coolest things I've ever seen just because he's like a local hero. And I know he won the Super Bowl as a backup and like literally didn't even see playing time, but still to see a Super Bowl game worn autographed Jersey is like super cool. Especially now, like you're happy for him too, because he's getting hit shot, you know, and like been good, you know, it's like, that's cool. He's really good at handing the ball off to Mostert. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'll be one um, thing I'm looking forward to. Like, obviously, with the podcast today, our main goal is to be setting the groundwork for our own fandom and kind of our own background of sports and stuff. But just looking forward to the <laughs> the future debates as far as different teams and players and stuff. Yeah. That's, oh, yeah, I'm for sure. All that. And, like, when sports return. I know. If they ever do. <laughs> If they ever do, yeah. yeah, yeah I, well, I mean, you heard that the Olympics, they postponed all the way to 2021, right? Yeah, like, even just now when we've been recording, like, every day I'm getting, this has been canceled. Now this has been canceled. Yeah. I just picture the CBS Sports announcements are, are like, they come to your phone and the notification sound is, like, Dick Vitale's voice. Like... <laughs> Unbelievable! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be sweet, actually. <laughs> oh, for, for it would definitely be cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I was gonna say the uh, Olympic Committee, like, what is his title? I don't remember. Yeah. Just like the president of the Olympic Committee that called it off. Did you hear what his name is? No. <laughs> this is real. His okay. name is his name is Dick Pound. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Like certain last names, you just have to go by Rich or Richard, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because he's he's such an iconic name, but Dick Buttkiss. Oh yeah. You can't get away with a name like that. Like, <laughs> he is. I had this Chicago Bears documentary when I was a kid, and it was a documentary of like the whole history of the Bears. I watched it all the time. I loved it. And there's this one, so Sayer, Gail Sayers and Dick Buckkiss were drafted like in back-to-back seasons. And they showed, or maybe, no, it might have been the same season actually, which is crazy. But in any case, on the documentary, they said it was something like, you know, and shifting out of the 50s and into the 60s or whenever they played, I think it was the 60s, they were mm-hmm. like, the, the Bears entered a new era. One player who's silky smooth, and they had this like pretty majestic music and showing downstairs, like weaving slow mo in between these defenders and stuff. And then they said, and the other one, a little rough around the edges. And then the music cuts out, and you just heard guys like, rah, 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 and Butkus just like bludgeoning them with his like forearm. Uh, I loved that. <laughs> I loved that part of the documentary. That's one thing like we talked about earlier, like now with having no sports, being able to go back and rewatch old documentaries and stuff. It's something I'd kind of gotten away from. I feel like with you were saying like, um, I feel like you've watched more than I have just from conversations we've had. It feels like watching old documentaries and stuff, something you I used to do more as a kid, you know, like 
put in the same DVD or VHS tape or whatever and just like rewatch stuff. It's almost like being able to rewatch old documentaries. It's just like a, I don't know. No, it's legit. No, I've kind of got away from recently, but kind of getting back to now. So that's my dad. I remember, and this, I guess would be part of my bulls fandom, but I remember my dad, um, had VHSs of the bulls, 96, 97 and 98 seasons. It was like the, the championship VHS. So it would be like kind of a, fairly quick recap of the season and then more in depth for the postseason, and then like super in depth for the championship series. Yeah. And I loved those. I was glued to those and they were VHSs and it was kind of funny, but man, I love those. Those were so great. But I always remember hating, like I would always say like, Oh dad, do you have any of the games recorded or mm-hmm. anything? And he never, he didn't. Mm-hmm. And it was always kind of a bummer to me. Cause I was like, I would have loved to watch like a full game. This is before YouTube, boys and girls. And <laughs> I just remember kind of being kind of bummed out. Um, and then similar with the 85 Bears, like I, you, I've seen yeah. like endless highlights. I've seen like two different documentaries about it. Not to mention, like I've also seen like a Walter Payton documentary. Like I've seen a mm-hmm. ton of stuff from the 85 season, but never a, a full game until my grandpa, he revealed to me, and this is ironic because he's a Packers fan, but he mm. reco- he recorded the '85 Bears Super Bowl and had it like stashed away somewhere, collecting dust in his house. And wow. he found it, and I was able to watch it, and it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Um, mm. But as a result, um, after the Cubs won the World Series, they were selling kind of like the recap DVDs that you can get, and I got that. But then I found out they were selling a set that had every game from the World Series, like entirely, with commercials cut out and all, like a lot of extra stuff cut out too. So it was like pretty much just the game. And I was like, I don't care how much that is, I'm buying it. Because I said, my kids, as they grow up being fans, or even like nieces and nephews or whomever, I want to be able to say, here's this disc, you can go watch this entire game. Yeah. That would be just so cool. Mm-hmm. Anyway, also, I was going to say, not a sponsor, listeners, but I've done this before. Subscribe to ESPN Plus for a free trial month because that's where all of their 30 for 30s are. And during that trial month, binge as many 30 for 30s as you can. And then make sure you unsubscribe before <laughs> they charge you. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by ESPN Plus. <laughs> Now you can bundle ESPN Plus, Disney Plus, and Hulu. Can you really? Yeah, twelve ninety nine a month. It's not bad, other than the fact that, really, to be honest, there's not much on ESPN Plus I've wanted to watch other than the 30 for 30s. Yeah, I haven't actually seen very many 30 for 30s. Like, I know Dude. there's ones I wanted to watch. Like, I need to watch the okay. Bad Boys one. They have a Fab Five one, I think, for Michigan. Yep, Basketball, yep. Um, which I've never seen the Fab Five at all. I've only seen parts of Bad Boys. And then with the new the Bulls one that's coming out. I want to see that when it does. I am um, so excited for that. Yeah. So it's, yes. yeah. I, I haven't watched very many 30 for 30s, but that is a good idea. While we're kind of on this intermission about 30 for 30s, I'll throw out some recommends from my own perspective. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, I'm a little biased in the ones I choose, right? Like like one of them I watched, Catholics vs. Convicts, which is about Lou Holtz's okay. Notre Dame championship winning season. Probably the best 30 for 30 hands down and the most 
intense and probably informative documentary I've ever watched was OJ Simpson made in America. Mm. And it's, it's, it can be hard to watch at times, but it's so interesting because it's like, it's an analysis of the events in 1994 and 1995 with OJ Simpson, but more in our modern day purview where we're able to look back and say, okay, in that area of California, there was like the highest point of racial tension. And there was a lot of like cops with racist ties. Mm -hmm. Um, Plus adding to that, you look at things now like with CTE and concussions and all that. And um, I mean, you cannot prove somebody has CTE until they, an autopsy can be done similar to other brain diseases like Alzheimer's. Uh, but I know that mo- pretty much everybody is like, yeah, O.J. Simpson has CTE. It's it's honestly a really heartbreaking 30 for 30, but it is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Another one that I would recommend is called The Last Days of Night, which is about Bobby, Bobby yeah, about Bobby Knight at Indiana University um, and his glory days and his fall. The other one I watched that was super good. I think it's called Fantastic Lies. And it's a story I didn't even know that happened. But it's about Duke University's men's lacrosse team. That was, uh, yeah. do you know where I'm going with this? I know the story with them. Yeah, I just yeah. looked up Fantastic Lies. Yeah, yeah. they were convicted of basically like gang raping a stripper. And it's a really fascinating mm. story. Yeah. Anyway. A lot of people working from home and not are being quarantined. Oh yeah, yeah if you've got the if you got the time. Now's a good time to look into that. Those thirty for thirties are great. Uh, one that's kind of more lighthearted and fun is called uh, Jordan rides the bus, and it's basically about Michael Jordan leaving the Bulls and going and playing for the um, White Sox minor league system when he went to uh, play baseball. Uh, that one, you know, they talk a little bit about like his dad getting murdered and things like that, but. Other than yeah. that, it's, it's more of a lighthearted one, and that one's fun. I was um, actually just, which it wasn't lighthearted, but I was just actually today listening to, once we get into later episodes of the show, we want to kind of do some more, like, debates or, like, um, just kind of, like, look back at sports history, kind of. I would really like to at some point look back, and we won't do it today, but at um, Jordan when he left, because this conspiracy, which I'm sure you're, you've heard before, where he was oh, yeah. like, told he had to leave the league tell him to leave the league for a couple of years because of the gambling debt and the yeah. theory that his dad was killed. Um, like I do to, to get to him, you know, like that'd be something interesting to look into. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's actually, it actually is a, has become relevant because Steve Kerr the other day um, said something about that. I don't know if you saw that floating around. I haven't um, yet, No, Steve Kerr basically said he's on the side that there's no conspiracy. Because basically the first thing he said is, why would, even if Jordan was in great gambling trouble, why would the commissioner, like, exile the best, most profitable player ever in history? That was, like, his first point. And his second point was he said, nobody ever asked Michael, like, how he was feeling, like, during that time. Everyone just started assuming things. And he said, I can tell you from discussions I've had with him that 
he was like mentally and physically burnt out from winning three championships in a row. He was like, everyone says that if Michael hadn't gone to play baseball, they would have won. We would have won eight championships. And he said, winning three in a row is really taxing. And he was like, so he was saying, I I can't say with that we would have won eight in a row. Um, And he said, but taking that year and a half hiatus was necessary for us to win the next three in a row. Hmm. That's basically a summary of Kerr's comments. Yeah, is a really interesting perspective on that. We kind of jumped on to other things, but did you have any, like, I I feel like we could probably dedicate an entire podcast to you just ranting on the Lions. So Yeah, one of those things where it's like, well, based on, obviously once the season starts, (laughs) there will be plenty on that. Because oh, it's yeah. only better time until we have more issues and stuff. Like even last year, I, as we were kind of tossing around the idea of starting this podcast, we were like, if we had the podcast at this point, this would be a great rant after, <laughs> like I know the Packers game last year comes to mind with the hands to the face penalties and um, just like some of those things where it's like I could go on and on. Um, but for now, I think I'll just let it rest. And then kind of as, the, as we go into future episodes, when it's relevant, I'll. <laughs> or how about how about Mitch Trubisky barely eking out a win over David Blau and the Lions on Thanksgiving Day? That was <laughs> I can't believe the nation was subjected to that. That was like the most <laughs> unfulfilling Yeah, the most unfulfilling Bears victory ever. Yeah. That and the Calvin Johnson rule game. <laughs> that oh man. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think um I, I would say objectively based on our what we know about each other and kind of how this podcast will go. I think both of us probably have our largest pieces of emotion tied to football. And I think that we'll get most fired up by those topics. Um, Mm -hmm. That being said, I'm a monster Cubs fan. Like I, I have a lot that I can complain about with the way the Cubs have handled things the past couple of years. Um, Mm -hmm. You're about to hear me rip into the bulls pretty hardcore um, and then the Hawks have also mishandled things, but definitely like the Bears is like just the disappointment level is so much higher for some reason than other teams. And yeah, like you said, like the cliche, but I, it's true for us. I think the football is king. Like we're, we care about other sports, but um, I'd say for both of us, yeah, football just means more. And it's that in U.S. curling. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, just wait till we get to that, man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what we're frustrated about this week. What about you? Share your frustrations with us or about us at Real FN Podcast on Twitter or nationoffrustration at gmail.com or go voice your frustrations and leave us a review. And if you're frustrated that this episode is over because you wanted to hear more, be sure to look for new episodes every Thursday everywhere you can get podcasts. Lastly, if searching for our podcast every week frustrates you, then just subscribe to save yourself the frustration. It also saves us the frustration of having no subscribers. Now get out there and frustrate the hate.